welcome to the Portugal podcast. We're back to analyse Portugal's 3-1 win against Switzerland in the semi-finals of the UEFA Nation League finals. The Celestar will take on the Netherlands in the final at the Estadio do Dragão in Porto on Sunday. There's lots to discuss, including another Ronaldo masterclass, an injury in defence and the debut of João Félix. My name is Matthew Marshall and joining me again is Nathan Motes. Nathan, how are you going? Hey, doing pretty good. Always uh, happy to talk Sal, especially when we're talking about a final. Yep, it's a great occasion. I'm sure there'll be another fantastic following in Porto. Joining us also is Patrick Ribeiro. Long time no speak. Yeah. How's things with you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And obviously, uh, good to be back after. It's been a whole year, hasn't it? Um, last time we were talking about the World Cup, now we're coming to the UEFA Nations League and as you say, it's a great occasion for Portugal right now and good to be talking about this with yourself. It sure is, mate. Unfortunately, uh, Portugal godfather Tom Cundit can't be with us today. He's uh, he's busy grilling sardines and uh, who can blame him? It's certainly a lovely day to be grilling the sardines on the barbecue in the Portuguese sunshine. Okay, guys, let's get on to this game and dissect it. Cristiano Ronaldo scoring his 53rd hat-trick of his career. Unbelievable stuff. Patrick? What were your overall thoughts on this match? I think the, the scoreline is probably kinder to Portugal than the actual game itself. I thought uh, Switzerland came in. Lots of good players in the lineup, And I think it was very clear from the start that you know it would be in for a very difficult game. We had to pick our moments to really uh, try to dictate um, things. Uh, and Switzerland would have their time. Um, I think we saw very early on that, that they were able to find pockets in our defence by Shakiri a little later on in the first half. Seferovic had one or two chances, one or two sightings of goal. So, you know, it was very clear from, from the get-go, to me at least, that it would be a, a here and there game. You know, one moment Portugal will have their moments and then Switzerland will have chances of their own. So I think it was perhaps a pretty even game. The second half, things turned out to be a lot more cagier. Perhaps both teams were sort of playing in fear of actually losing the game and started to think about extra time and thankfully for Portugal I think when you got someone like Ronaldo it's always an advantage and he can then turn the game uh, and change the story uh, completely and that's what that's what he was able to do for Portugal and uh, from 1-1 we jumped up to 3-1. Nathan how did you see this match did you like a lot of us think this one was heading to extra time? Well it, it certainly looked that way and the way uh, that Switzerland played they, they I, I feel like they forced Portugal to kind of play their style of match and and for a while there especially after the VAR situation you know turned out in Switzerland's favor it almost had that that sense of that flavor that that Portugal was just not going to be able to find a way through um what I really don't like about the match though is it didn't really go very far in solving some of the tactical problems that we're we're trying to sort out in midfield you know if I, we said in the last podcast for example we we, we assumed that Santos would start, you know, with a double pivot like he did. And through much of this match, I, I did not like the way our midfield played. I don't like the way that we were able to try to hold on to the ball. Uh, and it, there didn't seem to be the cohesion that we won. But then, you know, there at the end of uh, uh, just a few minutes before the end of normal time, Ruben Neves uh, with a typical raking crossfield pass to Bernardo Silva. And all of a sudden the ball's in the back of the net you know, from, from Ronaldo. I would just say thank God for the individual quality in the squad. Uh, even though we did not uh, play well, even at home, you know, we were dominated in possession. Uh, in the first half, you know, we were in danger at times of being overrun, in fact, in my opinion. 
but to still come away with uh, with the win, uh, that's just Ronaldo for you, and and, um, and it's, it's just been amazing and a joy to, to watch him throughout his career do those kind of things. Yeah, for sure, it was incredible. I guess we should have seen it coming and or even expected it, but Ronaldo again coming up in in, in another important moment for his nation. Switzerland definitely had their chances here with Seferovic leading the way up front. He hit the bar and went close on a number of occasions. And, and Portugal looked look wide open at times, you know, which was interesting, I thought, because Fernando Santos made some changes here. Of course, the, one of the main ones was Joao Felix coming in. We'll talk about him shortly. But when we look at the defence, he decided to start uh, Nelson Semedo over um, Joao Cancelo which I'm guessing he did to offer a bit more stability in defense. And on the other side, we also saw Rafael Guerrero, well, attacking a lot less than we, we, we've become used to him. I guess that was because, in part, to Switzerland's formation, we had Mbabu out there on his side, and he had to worry about him, and also Shakiri drifting out there, and even Zakaria was, was operating in that space. And then, of course, we saw Bruno Fernandes coming in, and then Bernardo Silva coming into the central position. So there was a lot of changes here, and I guess... That contributed a little bit to Switzerland having more space than, than Portugal would have liked. Uh, Patrick, let's get your opinion on the Nelson Semedo situation over Joao Cancelo. What, what do you think was behind uh, Santos's thinking here? Well, um, you know, traditionally, I think we've always looked at a player like Joao Cancelo as someone who, uh, you know, going forward is uh, is an absolute asset, and he's shown that massively for Juventus uh, this season. He's perhaps improved his defensive game as well alongside that. Um, but we've always looked that thing attached to Cancelo that he's not really as good going backwards. And I think that probably played in uh, Fernando Santos's mind a little bit in in between him and Smed. Smed's obviously someone who's collected a bit of experience. Something we've seen uh, Santos uh, do before, you know, uh, go for that defensive security, especially with Portugal coming into this game with no friendlies or anything like that. We've sort of just collected the boys together and gone straight into a big important game I think he's gone for security over anything else and it showed Portugal were very uh, respectful of uh, of the uh, threat that Switzerland posed Nathan how did you see the fullback situation here the one thing that uh, Switzerland was really effective in doing was was forcing our our fullbacks you know back into a defensive role which frankly they they don't specialize in kind of like uh, Patrick was was discussing and we played very narrow throughout this match because they were uh, Buguero and Semedo both were not able to provide us with width as they normally do, which was especially the case in the first half. And we saw a lot of crosses coming in from, from wide positions to, to Seferovic as a result. And so that's definitely something that's going to be a concern. Um, in this, in this coming match, I do think the Netherlands are probably going to have the lion's share of possession unless we can sort something out. So we're going to have to, find the best fullback combination uh, to provide the, the best defensive cover. And like kind of like we discussed in the first uh, or the podcast a few days ago before the semifinal, we, we have so much talent at right back. It's a bit difficult to know exactly which, which player in which situation brings, brings us the best, most benefit. And I, I think Santos probably was looking at maybe a, a slightly more defensive option in choosing Semedo. Uh, that isn't to say he can't get forward. But uh, the, the concern with Santos is, it, are we going to be able to cover, you know, kind of our our weaker central defensive pairing? You know, Pepe's Pepe's uh, a bit older, and now you know with Pepe injured, it's going to be Jose Font, and he's he's uh, 
definitely in kind of a similar situation. So we have to be able to provide, you know, a little bit better cover for our flanks. Um, looking at how the Netherlands play, I definitely still think that's going to be a concern with Memphis to pay and, and some talented players uh, there on their wing. So um, it'll be interesting to see if, if he, if he felt confident with what Semedo brought or if he uh, goes back to Constello, hoping that we can maybe provide a bit more width to the, to the uh, tactical structure than, than we had against Switzerland. I think it was largely in part to the fact that Switzerland employed three central defenders, and, and whenever a team does that, you know, the wing-backs are going to be prominent and they're going to stretch you, and then, uh, you know, your own full-backs, if you're lined up in a back four, are going to be very busy, and I think that's what we saw here. But I, I kind of liked the Semedo coming in for this match. I was quite happy to see Guerrero focusing more on the defensive aspect of his game rather than what we've seen in some recent times for the national team. Okay, let's go into the midfield. Ruben Neves was solid again. He was instrumental in uh, in the second goal for Portugal. William Carvalho was largely by his side and, and, and trying to get forward as much as possible. Lost the ball on a couple of occasions, but showing us again that he's adapted a bit more now to that box-to-box role rather than being solely holding midfielder. And Bruno Fernandes coming in, as we said, and I thought he was he was quite good, you know, doing a lot of a lot of work as we've known to to expect from him, you know, in attack and defence. And you know, we need to keep in mind overall here the fact that this is largely a new kind of formation in a way, and and a new team. So there's going to be teething problems. It's going to take time for these players to to define their combinations. Uh, Patrick, what did you make of the midfield three here with William Rumenevich and Bruno Fernandes? Well, it was a difficult performance because, as you say, they, they do come up against a very good mid- midfield themselves. Um, I think if we were all to choose a, a three-man midfield for Portugal, then William Rumenevich and Bruno Fernandes are three of the uh, hottest choices that you can make. But, you know, with it being a new formation and all that, it, it, it was quite difficult at times. I think William is someone who is perhaps at his best right at the base of, the, of a three-man midfield uh, where he can dictate uh, the tempo uh, on, on his own, essentially. Ruben Evans works quite well with, with a two, but with a partner who's usually quite busy, um, you know, much like uh, Moutinho. Whereas Bruno uh, uh, Fernandes is someone who obviously likes to operate a little bit more in between the lines and coming into the final third. And with Portugal being so narrow, in midfield, logically, he had to divert away from his his uh, attacker responsibilities and and try to fill in gaps further out wide, which um, sort of stifled him a little bit. So it was a difficult performance for all of them, uh, in my eyes. Uh, I thought Ruben Neves did uh, quite well, uh, probably the best out of the three. And William, as the game went on, uh, you know, we, we started to see a lot more uh, from him, especially going forwards. What we can expect in the future is perhaps more dominant displays from them, and I don't think they they ever really uh, managed to uh, dictate the, the tempo of the game. Nathan, what did you make of the midfield three here, and do you think this is what uh, Fernando Santos will persist with now? Yeah, I, I think uh, kind of like what Patrick said. You know, this is a this is a group that you know is just trying to get used to playing you know with uh, with each other for the, for the first time. And I think it, it kind of the match looked like that, didn't it? I mean, there were there were a lot of misplaced passes and kind of a, just a general lack of awareness about what the the other player was going to do, what kind of run they were going to make. And I think that can be improved over time. And it's it's a bit it's a bit tempting, I think, to want to uh, be overly harsh in, in criticism of them 
you know, given that this is uh, this is just a, you know it's a two match tournament essentially a semifinal and a final. Uh, there's no friendlies, you know, in the build up uh, like there is for for most major tournaments, and so I mean there's there's very little preparation, you know, outside of just training within the squad, and so it's it's always going to take some time, you know, to integrate players. You know, we have to remember that Bruno Fernandez, you know, had having such a difficult World Cup the way that he did. You know, coming into this squad, um, he, he's a player. I, I, you know, I said at the last podcast, and I'll say it again: we we have to have him in the squad. He has to be there in some capacity. So I don't have doubts that that we're we're making the right decision and in, in employing him. And you know, the, the same with with William. He's he's been a, a mainstay in the squad for years now. I th- I thought he was excellent against uh, against Switzerland again, and um, I really don't see Santos getting away from that that formation. The only Caveat being, if if we look at the Netherlands as a team that that may dominate us in possession and want to to try to increase our our counterattacking threat, uh, does Santos maybe try to change up the uh, the midfield a bit and and integrate a bit more speed and direct play through uh, either Gedge or Rafa Silva? Um, otherwise, I, I think this is a midfield that's going to take a little bit of time. To, to find their best role and, and bring their best uh, form to the squad. Yeah, I really think that so too. You know, so many of these players can play different roles. We, you know, we just spoke about William and, and the fact that he played the holding role for so long and now he's more of a box-to-box guy. And Bruno Fernandes, so, so versatile. And um, Bernardo Silva, who also can play in a range of different positions. Let's talk about him, Patrick. You know, Nathan and Tom were calling on him to, 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 to play in a central position and see more of the ball. What did you make of his performance? I think uh, whenever uh, he got onto the ball, he, he he certainly looked lively and as you'd expect from a top player like like he is. And I certainly think there's um, plenty more to come from you know, a guy like Bernard Silva. Yeah, I think it falls back on the fact that it was such a difficult game for Portugal itself. And sometimes, you know, those in the final third, like Ronaldo and Felix, everything has to filter through the team first before um, possession gets to their feet and, and they can make something happen. So some of the best stuff that w- we were able to create on the day came, for, came from him. There's certainly more to come. You know, I'm quietly pleased with what we were able to see against Switzerland from Bernard Silva. Yeah, he was heavily involved, Nathan. He set up the second goal. He He won a penalty. That wasn't awarded because of the VAR decision at the other end a little bit earlier, which was remarkable in itself. But um, this looks like the way forward for Portugal and uh, Fernando Santos now, which is Bernardo playing in the centre and being heavily involved. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, in his first match being moved centrally, um, I, I was I was pretty pleased, honestly, with the way that he played. And, and uh, you know, a lot of discussion, uh, and rightly so, was, was about his, his work rate and just the tremendous stamina you know, he brought to the game, uh, in addition to, to his, his just brilliant technical qualities, you know, to bring down, you know, that cross field pass from Neves and, and be able to, to lay it down on a plate for, for Ronaldo. And that's exactly the kind of, of play that I hope we're, we're seeing for the next few years. Um, and, and I think it's just a sign of things to come. I think that as he becomes comfortable with that role and, and hopefully as the midfielders around him become comfortable with his, uh, his adaptation, you know, as a, as kind of our creative number 10 type, uh, I, I think he's just only going to improve more. And I'm, I'm actually based on the performance against Switzerland, I'm pretty excited to see what he can do in the future. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be really exciting to watch him against Netherlands and no doubt he will be a key player 
once again. Okay, well, let's talk about him. The 19-year-old phenom, Joao Felix, he got the start here. Uh, came under some criticism, I guess. Well, didn't have a whole lot of involvement, although he did have a great chance to score when he went through uh, after Ronaldo sent him through. Could have quite easily drawn a penalty with uh, Rodriguez pulling his arm and, and, and taking him off balance. Patrick, well, what did you think of overall the, the selection of Felix and then his performance? He's certainly an exciting player and... Um you know, I'm one who would have co-signed uh, his appearance against Switzerland. I was one that was very keen to see how he could link up with uh, first and foremost Ronaldo in the front line, and then Bernard Silva and Bruno Fernandes approaching him uh, in that sort of centre forward role. Um, so yeah, I was happy to see him start. Um, obviously, he had a quieter game than many uh, would have liked. We didn't see a great deal of him, but again, I think it's I think that could be more down to a case of adaptation and um, you know Portugal figuring, figuring themselves out as a dominant side as opposed to uh, a far more structured and um, come-at-us type of team that we've seen in the past. Um, you know, we're trying to make that transition. We've got the quality to do that now, um, but it, it's, it's still in the works. It's something that w- we haven't seen. And so when, when that process is under underway it's very easy for like forward players like Joan Felix and what have you to sometimes go missing and I think that's what we saw throughout uh, large periods of uh, the game against Switzerland it wasn't he, he was out there trying obviously to get on the ball but it, it was just the flow of the game and Switzerland are a very organized team and they were able to to play their game uh, quite well we obviously have to temper our expectations a little bit but um I think he 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 can really um, add something to this forward line um, once Portugal figure out their 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 ways technically uh, and going forwards. I think there's still a lot of work uh, from a coaching aspect that needs to be done. Nathan, Joel Felix, looking at the stats, he had 20 touches in 70 minutes of football, and the man that replaced him, Gonzalo Gedge, had the same amount in 20 minutes. What did you make of his overall performance, and what did you think of the decision by Santos to start him. Yeah, I, I think he he played about uh, like we would maybe should have expected for a, a you know a 19 year old coming into his uh, his national team you know for the first time and then playing alongside Ronaldo in, in a difficult match also against a Swiss side that had most of the ball and, uh, you know restricting most of his touches as you saw there I think uh, by the time that Gedge came into the the match later uh, I think the game had had changed. You know, a little bit. You know, with uh, you know Portugal maybe able to get a little bit more on the ball, and I, I think that um, what we were hoping for maybe was was to see this you know this uh, this new player emerge into the squad and really relieve some of the pressure from Ronaldo just right away and come in and, and make his impact. And that's that's honestly normally not how players integrate into their into their national team. They they don't uh, you know take over it by storm at the age of 19. Even Ronaldo didn't do that. We, we, we have to remember that. And so I actually think uh, Santos did a, you know, it, it's uh, maybe not the decision I would have made to start him. And I've, I've been calling for Diego Jota instead. But I, I do think that we need to start integrating Felix into the squad. I actually think he should be a, a substitute, possibly in uh, the upcoming match against the Netherlands. And I'm hoping he'll, he'll be involved um, a little bit more heavily in the European Championship qualifying matches that we have coming up uh, later this year. Yeah, I wasn't really that surprised, actually, when I saw his name on the starting sheet 
but having thought about it and obviously after seeing the performance it would have made much more sense to to bring him here to Poland you know he was exactly the player that the under 20 side needed just the perfect player and and the player that they were missing here and so you know I think in hindsight it would have been much much better for him to come here and uh, and play a leading role in this team he gets some valuable experience here next to Ronaldo and I'm sure he he will learn a lot from this and um, we'll have to see what happens now as far as you know the, the match against Netherlands but for sure he's going to be a part of the squad uh, for the foreseeable future uh, Ronaldo do we really have to talk about Ronaldo the first goal was a free kick a lovely free kick and then the second goal trademark anticipation and a finish uh, and then the third goal you know another trademark they're running down the left hand side cutting inside a kanji and then finishing in the far corner. Just just incredible. I wish I could have been there. It would have been fantastic to, to see this live. Patrick, I guess we shouldn't really be surprised with another Ronaldo masterclass here leading Portugal to victory and somewhat getting them out of trouble. That's just what uh, a player like that um, can provide. You know, it's moments of magic and um, the ability to, as you say, turn a difficult 1-1 draw KG affair into... Uh, something um, that something at first sight doesn't look like it was as difficult as it was, and that's what um, Ronaldo was able to do. He's someone who's always very, uh, you know, very focused and ready in anticipation to, to change the game. And we show that he showed that um, with his uh, second goal, and then the third was obviously a classic, perhaps even sort of old school Ronaldo running at that defender cutting in and bending a shot in so yeah it's very nice to see it was a good moment uh, for Portugal hopefully uh, a, a nice morale booster going into the final that you know the, the same old man the main man is you know he's still alive and kicking and uh, ready ready for more hopefully uh, come uh, the final yep incredible stuff from Ronaldo Nathan he turned 34 in February this was his 88th goal for the Salasal, and I guess it's not going to be long before he hits the century mark. Yeah, you know, it's it's getting harder to wax eloquent about uh, Ronaldo these days, but I'll I'll try for just a second. I think that um, you know, watching how he played is is a reminder. You know, he didn't forget, you know, how to do all of the things that people say he can't do anymore, like take free kicks or uh, beat beat his marker on the dribble. Um, you know, in addition to the goals, just some wonderful skill just overall. The no-look pass to Felix was just, uh, it was just magic, you know, and, and the fact that he can still bring that at his age. And the one thing I'll, I'll add is that I, I, I'm still seeing a lot of discussion, you know, on social media about how Ronaldo brings some of a, a negative influence to the squad in the way that he is just kind of this magnetic focal point for everything and that that possibly damages our you know squad's ability to maintain the ball and build fluidity through midfield but I disagree I think that Ronaldo is is essential because we don't have another player at the moment that that can finish uh, that is as lethal a finisher as he is we may never have a player that that can finish the way that, that he has and so I think it's more a problem just that the midfielders the players uh, around him need to solve. It's not a matter of Ronaldo bringing this psychological, you know, barrier to the team that prevents us from playing better football. You know, I think these other players around him are professionals themselves. 
Um, and they, they need to, to step up and take accountability for the way that they, that they play as well. It's not a matter of Ronaldo um, stifling creativity in this squad. I mean, look at the man. You know, if without him, uh, where, where do we turn for goals? You know, Andre Silva is out of form. Um, we have Diego Sousa, you know, in the squad. And, and I, you know, I, I just look at this team and, and I still have to scratch my head when people tend to suggest that Ronaldo might be the reason that we're not playing better overall as a team. And that's something that I hope people will, will see in matches like this, just how important he is, how important he's always been uh, for the squad. And, and just remember that there's time for the players around him to, to, be, to build that chemistry uh, as a squad, independent of Ronaldo, that, that will actually be our future. Um, as Ronaldo, you know, regrettably, will be uh, leaving the scene probably in the next, yeah, let's say, four to five years. Yeah, it's incredible. And I guess there's always going to be that talk with anyone of his stature, with teams becoming over-reliant on him. You could say exactly the same thing for Real Madrid. And that was his 157th cap. And I'm guessing he will get to 200, which will be a phenomenal achievement. It, it, it also, what's interesting when you look at the history with the Netherlands, of course, we had that game in, in 2006, which everyone remembers, but a couple of years before that, Portugal got over the Netherlands on their way to the European Championship final in, in 2004. And, of course, Ronaldo scored the opening goal in that match. And when you look at the players that lined up in that team, Luis Figo started, Pauleta, you know, Manish, Costinha, Ricardo in goal, Petit coming off the bench, Fernando Couto, Rui Costa was on the bench. It's just amazing that um, you know, he's still going. And I'm sure still quality years to come from Ronaldo. All right, let's look ahead then. Of course, we have Pep. He's injured. He busted his shoulder, it looked like, and he'll be out for a couple of months. So Jose Font will come in for him. And I guess that means that Danilo will obviously start off the bench and be an emergency centre-back if required. So that will be one definite change. I wouldn't be that surprised, actually, if Joao Cancelo comes back in. Not because Semedo played that bad. It just goes back to what I said, the fact that Switzerland play that formation with the wing-backs, which means you, you know, your, your full-backs are going to be on the back foot. And Netherlands are not going to do that. So that might open the door for Joao Cancelo to come in there. But as far as the midfield goes, I really don't anticipate any changes there. I think that will be the same. Of course, Ronaldo will start. So I guess the big question then becomes Joao Felix. And, uh, you know, Gonzalo Gedge came on for him, set up Ronaldo with the, with the third goal. And Patrick, what changes, if any, do you anticipate? And, and if someone comes in for Joao Felix, who do you think that will be? I'd expect Portugal to, to line up pretty much the same as they did against Switzerland, obviously with the change of uh, Fonte coming in. But uh, personally, um, one change I would like to see is, uh, is uh, what Nathan touched upon is to see Diogo Jota uh, introduced, um, in, in my opinion, for Felix, who, um, you know, he, he's still a player who could introduce something special into this game. But uh, I think Jota, uh, from, from the get-go, uh, from what we saw against, from what we saw from Holland against England, uh, Dumfries is the fullback uh, in the Dutch side that likes to attack a lot more, and defensively he 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 doesn't look as good. He's got that whole uh, problem going for him as well that so many other fullbacks do. Um, and I think with someone as tenacious and hardworking as Jota on on the flanks, uh, with the Portuguese attack working in rotation, I think perhaps on the counter even I think that's where Portugal can really 
um, pick gaps in this Dutch defence and perhaps begin to isolate the likes of uh, Matthijs de Ligt and um, uh, Van Dijk. Uh, if I was to pick a weakness in in the Dutch side, other than the fact, other than the fact that they don't have a you know a top forward, I think that section of defence is probably where Portugal um, can have some joy. So for sure, I'd like to see Jota coming in, who's someone who can affect the game on the flank just as just as well as he can in between the lines or or um, through the middle. Uh, so we could see some nice rotation there between him and Ronaldo and Bernardo Silva coming in and floating out wide as well. Um, I think that's the sort of um, roaming um, that could cause some damage to Holland. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against that. You know, with Jota coming in for Joao Felix, I think he's he's positionally he's he's the most similar because he's used to playing more of a, a striker role, whereas uh, Rafa Silva and Gedge, I guess, more used to being out wide. The only thing is, I would say, is that you know, although Santos brought him up for those two recent European qualifying games, he didn't see any minutes of action. Nathan, do you anticipate any changes against the Netherlands? And if so, what would they be? Yeah, not not substantive changes, just as little things as you mentioned. I, I can also see Joao Cancelo possibly coming in for Semedo uh, just to try to give us a different uh, different look there on the right side of the pitch. And then I, I do think Felix probably will uh, will be on the bench to start this one. Uh, the, the the real question is will it be Jota or Gedge and, and and honestly Santos seems to prefer you know Gonzalo at this point so I I would actually anticipate him coming into the squad in some capacity but I think Joe Jota will be the more natural replacement for Felix so I still want to want to see what he can do uh, of course it's always a tough ask for any player to come into the the squad for the first time in a big final you know in front of your home crowd and and bring your best form. So even even that, I think bringing Diogo Jota in would have its challenges. So, but I think generally speaking, you know, Jose Fonten for Pep, honestly, um, and maybe if one or two other changes. Otherwise, I think uh, we we see most of the same look for Portugal, and and just hope that the, uh, the squad can play with a bit more coherency in midfield in this match. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what Fernando Santos does here, whether he persists with Felix or. You know what option he decides to use to uh, to replace him, if that indeed is what happens. Okay, let's talk briefly now about Netherlands. They got past England in extra time with a 3-1 win. There we saw them go behind after Matthias De Ligt made an error and gave away a penalty, but then he redeemed himself, heading in a corner and then an own goal, which was very much uh, uh, set up by Depay. And, uh, and Quincy Promers, and then Promers well, making it 3-1 in, in the final few minutes. It's an interesting team, isn't it? We see Memphis Depay playing that striker role. He had 10 shots here, heavily, heavily involved. And then that um, midfield behind him, attacking midfield with Ryan Babel and, uh, and Steven Bergvine. Of course, you've got uh, Frankie de Jong very much dominating the, the centre of the park there. Patrick, you identified it before that uh, Denzel... Uh, Dumfries might be a little bit of a weakness, and, if, and we've seen that if you pressure um, the centre-backs, particularly Delict, you might get some joy there. We've seen Daly Blind also. He's been used to playing more central defence for Ajax, but he's positioned on the left there. So definitely some weaknesses, but I'm guessing Portugal have to look at, at Memphis Depay and try and limit his impact on the game. Yeah, and um, if, if Holland perhaps altered their attack, I thought Holland were a team that once Quincy Promes came on, for Ryan Babel certainly looked uh, a little sharper up top 
and he himself had some very nice rotations from the flanks centrally with Depay. I think that could be uh, uh, quite the challenge uh, for Portugal to, to face up against. Um, uh, they're definitely an interesting team and I think that it would be very important as well to stop uh, Frankie de Jong uh, in, in the middle. Um, and so, you know, it may be a game where we, we see very little of Bruno Fernandes in terms of going forwards, but off the ball, he, he'll, he'll play a massively uh, important role in, in trying to uh, thwart uh, what Frankie de Jong can do on the ball and ensuring that he has as little time on it uh, to, to pull the strings like he pretty much did against England. Um, you know, Dutch. The Dutch team are are very adept uh, at keeping possession, and they're very good at pressing it as well. I think the midfield will be very important. The likes of William, who who are strong and, and able to 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 get out of pressing traps, um, perhaps setting on counters uh, in that way as well. Yeah, they've certainly got a strong team, a lot of very good young players. I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Promise comes in for Babel. That seems the logical switch here for Ronald Koeman who's really really turned this team around of course they missed out on even qualifying for some of these recent major tournaments but Nathan Netherlands are going to present a significant challenge for Portugal in the final yeah this definitely a squad that plays better as a collective you know than some of its uh some of its parts it has kind of that Ajax Amsterdam spine you know the, with delete there in uh central defense yeah Daly Blint Frankie de Jong, who, of course, is uh, heading to Barcelona this summer. And I, I just think the the way that they play tactically as a team together, um, that that's my biggest fear is this this squad, when you look at it, the names don't really jump out at you. You know, Ryan Babel, he's been around, you know, forever. He's 32 years old and he's leading the line. You know, it, it doesn't doesn't maybe produce the same level of intimidation. But the way this team is playing together uh, tactically the, the performances they've been able to to churn out in this competition, you know, remember coming out of a group in which they dispatched both Germany and France just to get to this point, you know, I think is there just a testimony to the, the kind of football they're playing right now. I think they will pose a real danger to Portugal. I think they're going to dominate possession and, and really force us to, to beat them on a counterattack. And, and that's where, in, in my opinion, uh, I take my greatest confidence, honestly, because I think we, we actually match up a little bit better against a squad who, who plays a bit more open and, and, and attempts to really come at us. Um, I think that England's front line is a lot faster, a lot more speed there. And Raheem Sterling, for example, and Jaden Sancho, uh, that, that was really concerning to me had they, had they gotten through. But looking at the Netherlands, I think they're going to try to dominate possession and try to like create chances patiently. And normally that's going to, to give us chances on the counterattack. And that's honestly why I think over the years, if you look back historically, we've, we've actually matched up pretty well against the Dutch and have performed reasonably well against them in, in major tournaments. So quietly, I'd like to say I'm, I'm confident, you know, that, that we, we match up well with this team in spite of the fact that, uh, that they're playing some, some really compelling stuff right now. And um, it, it should be a great game. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's going to be sensational. You know, Netherlands got the 3-0 win in the last match, which was uh, in March 2018. I think the result of that particular match didn't really reflect the game, but 
you know, as I said, it was a friendly. The other time was uh, in 2013, a 1-1 draw. But the, the, the last three competitive fixtures, um, Portugal have, have won them all. Of course, I mentioned that match in 2004 with uh, Ronaldo and Manish on the scoreline. And then the Battle of Nuremberg with Portugal getting the victory 1-0 with Manish again on target. And then the last time they played in, in a competitive match was in the 2012 European Championships in Kharkiv. Uh, Rafael van der Vaart put the Netherlands in front, but Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> who else, popping up with two goals to put Portugal through. So that's uh, three goals for Ronaldo in three competitive matches against Netherlands. So I guess he'll score. Thanks for listening. I hope you all enjoy the match. It's going to be a tremendous one, and hopefully Portugal can emerge victorious and win the very first UEFA Nations League final. Forza!